0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today a very good morning everybody welcome to the program you're watching squawk box with karen cho steve sedgwick and me jeff cutmore let's get into your headlines this morning a rebound in chinese services data While U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen holds pragmatic and frank talks with Beijing, amid growing speculation, the United States will cut tariffs in a bid to ease inflation. Australia's central bank lifts interest rates by 50 basis points, its third hike in as many months as the RBA struggles to contain surging inflation.
1: Right, Uniper shares plunge almost 30% on reports utility is set for a government bailout, whilst German lawmakers draft a bill that would allow the state to nationalize struggling gas importers. Well, staying with energy, oil and gas workers in Norway now officially start their strike in a dispute over higher wages, with energy output cuts set to deepen over the next two days.
2: The crypto winter continues, with two more platforms announcing restrictions on transactions amid ongoing volatility in the sector. China's Vice Premier Liu He and US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen have held, quote, constructive talks, their first since October. That's according to China's Commerce Ministry, which added the two sides agreed to improve coordination on macroeconomic policy and discussed U.S. trade tariffs on Chinese goods. The U.S. Treasury Department meanwhile described the exchange as candid and substantive, but made no mention of tariffs, highlighting instead talks around the war in Ukraine and Chinese economic practices. U.S. President Joe Biden is reportedly set to announce a number of rollbacks on Chinese trade tariffs. That's according to several media reports, with an announcement potentially coming as soon as this week. However, lifting tariffs on the roughly $300 billion of Chinese imports, which were implemented during the Trump administration, has split the Biden administration. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said lifting restrictions would be key to bringing down inflation, while Trade Representative Catherine Tai has said the tariffs represent crucial leverage in the U.S. relationship with China. Meantime, Chinese services sector activity expanded at its fastest rate in almost a year in the month of June, with demand for retail and transport activity picking up following the easing of lockdown restrictions in major cities. The Kaizen Services PMI came in at 54.5. That was China's first expansion in services activity since February. Let's get out to Sam for more in Singapore. Sam, lots to uh, unpack there. First up the PMI, whether that uh, survey data is even old now as we talk about fresh restrictions in China and of course the trade tariffs. Uh, Some reports suggest there could be savings of almost $800 per US consumer at this stage.
3: Good morning to you, Karen. It's really interesting because neither of those sort of positive developments, you could say, is doing much for the mainland markets today. Uh, one of the out- or underperformers, I should say, in the region, despite, as you say, that phone call between the US and China and this suggestion that uh, Biden may actually roll back some of these Trump-era tariffs, uh, but also as we got this pretty impressive rebound when it came to the services sector activity. I'll start with that data because, of course, we do know that that survey does look at the smaller and private firms over in China which have been harder hit. They've been slower to recover. But we have seen uh, quite this uh, impressive leap out of contraction territory, which it's been in uh, for the last uh, three months. And that was largely consistent with the official numbers that we got last week, which uh, did show uh, that that actually grew at the fastest pace in 13 months. So this was also uh, an uptick, uh, the best we've seen uh, in around a year. And it came as those COVID curbs did start to ease. We saw that two-month lockdown over in Shanghai, of course, being lifted. People actually able to leave their homes, go out and use some of these services and also the policy makers rolling out more stimulus and a lot of that was targeted uh, at the small to medium sized businesses. So no doubt uh, that was good for things, uh, as you say, like the transport industry but also accommodation, catering, bars and restaurants which is what of course this survey largely looks at. When you look at the breakdown, new business actually grew at the fastest pace uh, all year uh, although it's still not up to those uh, pre-pandemic levels or even the average that we saw throughout 2021. uh, Those input prices actually uh, managed to stabilise a bit, but uh, if you look under the hood, uh, the employment gauge still contracted uh, for six months, and so really uh, the labour market, while we have seen some of these signs of recovery, does remain uh, a bit of a concerning trend over in China. We do certainly know that household income and spending uh, is a bit of a worry, and this was largely put down to some of those cost-cutting measures, but also So people uh, practically resigning uh, because uh, of some of these pandemic measures. So we are now certainly seeing economists calling for more targeted measures to really help uh, the job market at the moment. But as you say, Karen, uh, certainly this could be a bit backwards looking now, because just in the last few days, we have seen those cases certainly uh, on the rise and in quite uh, critical manufacturing areas. parts of China, places like Anhui province and Jiangsu. You've got areas like Wuxi, which is uh, of course a big uh, textiles manufacturing hub. You've also got places like Iwu, which is known as the Christmas town or Santa's workshop. So uh, no doubt that is dampening some of these recovery hopes over in China. We saw a Numura survey out uh, earlier, which did suggest that around 11 cities are facing these restrictions and lockdowns now, which was compared to uh, just five about a week ago. They are saying around 114 million or so uh, people are actually being affected by these uh, restrictions now and these 11 cities uh, make up for around 15% of China's GDP so it certainly makes you wonder what that's going to mean uh, for headline growth so uh, as I say those headlines uh, which could be seen as certainly positive in in terms of uh, the data that we've got but also this call uh, which has certainly overshadowed that data not doing much for the markets right now we're just out of the lunch break over in Shanghai sitting down around two-tenths of 1%. Guys, back to you in London.
1: Very nice, Sam. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, OK, let's have a look at where we're currently in these markets. And look, let's be brutally honest about it, ladies and gentlemen. You're worried about a whole host of things. And the question is, oh, is it worth worrying about it? Really, take away the, the stress levels of worrying about it and just think what is actually clear and present. So let's go through what you're worried about. Global pandemic. Well, we've had it. We have it. We seem to be on the right side of it, touch wood, Uh, variants aside, we seem to be getting back to some form of economic normality on a mostly global basis. I know there are exceptions, regardless of the pandemic as well. We've got a war in Europe, devastating, horrendous, and it is a big caveat on your appetite for risk assets. We do have the potential of recession. Some people say we're already in a recession with consecutive quarters of negative growth as well. I know there's a, a growing school of thought that the US, the most important economy still uh, for the markets, for the globe, uh, is in recession already. We have 40 year inflation, so that's there already. We've had a crash on markets. Uh, there's the uh, opening calls for the, or the where we're currently trading on. Let's move on to opening calls. Um, we've already had a crash. We've already lost a bear market worth of stocks and valuation uh, in the SP. We've already lost 30% circa on some of the other major indices that are out there. So let's, um, and interest rates, yeah, they're happening. Cost of money, liquidity, solvency in many places, I know there's a big difference between the two, uh, is getting tight. So there's a lot of reasons why you should be very nervous about these markets and have been very nervous about these markets. They've all come off aggressively. And we'll move on to the US futures while I'm doing this as well. So look, Yes, you're worried about recession. Yes, you're worried about interest rates. You're worried about inflation. You're worried about a war. You're worried about a pandemic. It's all there, ladies and gentlemen. But the question now, the only question for you, if you're trying to work out whether you're investing or not, is now a good time to dip your toe? Let's move on to the other Asian markets. Move on to this. uh, Is now the right time to dip your toe? And it comes back to that old adage. Yes, you could have a market bottom here. It could well be the market bottom. But given all those factors and given the fact that we are yet to see the tsunami of downgrades in earnings expectations from corporations that we believe would be the natural course of events given all those other factors I've just mentioned as well. Is now the right time to buy the market? Is it the bottom? Again, you won't hear Karen Jeff, or I saying it is the bottom or it's not the bottom. But the fact of the matter is there is a very good chance that the market has further misery, further bad news for you as well. And you've got to work out whether valuations are the right price for taking that risk now or you do what someone told me decades ago, and that is basically pay more to know more. When you know a little bit more about where we're at, about what the ramifications of all those other factors are, are you willing to pay more? Are you willing to pay 10% more, 15, 20% more as well? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the question you've got to ask yourselves.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit more then about this uh, Chinese market. Chinese stocks enjoyed their best monthly gains since 2020 in June, with China's CSI 300 <laughs> index climbing more than 8%. This as China eased international travel rules and investors hope the worst of the lockdown restrictions are finished. Meanwhile, U.S. listed Chinese technology stocks saw their best month in three years. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon Index jumped 16 percent in June as Beijing regulators uh, said they are prepared to ease their crackdown on the country's big tech names. Alice Wang joins us, Portfolio Manager at Quero Capital. Alice, good morning to you and thanks for being with us. Um, So we had a a decent performance over the last month, but the year-to-date and the one-year story still show that we're a little down on the Shanghai composite. What do you think happens from here given that we seem to have a better glide path on services PMI data and on the trajectory of the lockdowns?
4: Well, I'm relatively positive on China this year and from here because China seems relatively um, immune or less exposed to some of the factors that are affecting the rest of the world, namely central bank tightening, namely um, you know decelerating growth. Um, inflation, and even uh, food shortages, right? Because China actually preemptively bought up 50% of the world's uh, wheat uh, back in March. So uh, they have stockpiled 150% of the food that the nation needs. So if you look at the whole host of factors that are worrying the rest of the world, actually China seems relatively a safe haven from these issues.
0: And yet, um, one of the problems you've got is continual policy uncertainty uh, around both COVID and what the government intends to do with technology companies. And that's thrown an element of uncertainty, I think, into the, the broader China story. How do you hedge against what effectively is almost unknowable?
4: Well, uh, certainly, but I think you have to look at the policy direction, right? And it was very clear that, you know, maybe two years ago at the end of 2020 that China was starting to take a very anti- economy stance um, in terms of high regulation of all of these industries. And now, you know, April figures were very, very bad, right? We showed um, unemployment figures of uh, young people of almost 20 percent. And the real figure is probably higher, right? Um, you know, only 47 percent, um, it's estimated of graduates this year, got job offers. And that's a real problem for the government, right? And that's no a no brainer if you've regulated basically all of the industries that they're going into. And so, uh, for example, education, Internet, um, you know, the, the, the sectors that they would want to be in. Um, And so, you know, the the government now has a real kind of incentive to change the policy direction because of the big problems that the economy is facing. And so where you had an anti kind of economy stance, you actually may be having the start of a pro-economy stance and the positioning this directional change. This is very significant because, you know, whereas in the U.S., you actually may be having a Fed or central government policies that are more uh, taxing on the economy, the Chinese direction is changing and that's very significant. And that's probably why we saw the uh, market bottom in April. Now, there will be noises along the way, uh, but the direction has changed.
2: So I pick up on your point, I know many thought it was self-harm when it comes to the regulation in technology anyway, but the other layer on top, of it started before some of this stepped up regulation, was around trade tariffs and the very negative tone that started with the Trump administration. We're hearing in recent weeks, and especially overnight, a glimmer of hope that some of the tariffs could be rolled back because of the inflation pressures that American consumers are feeling. Despite the reason or whatever the motivation here, would it be positive for Chinese stocks and the perception internationally if we did see a roll Back in those tariffs,
4: absolutely. I mean, I, I think actually the U.S. government probably should have done it a lot earlier. It would have had a better effect on the inflation. I mean, the reality is, if you look at all the earnings coming out from the U.S., it's clear that U.S. consumers are shifting their consumption from goods to services. And so, I'm not sure that uh, China exports that many, you know, services to the U.S. But on the good side, you know, the demand is already falling. And actually, I think that that's. The clearest kind of concern that I would have for China going forward is what happens when the goods, um, you know, uh, looking past the tariffs, you know, what happens when the goods start to uh, decelerate the demand. Um, and uh, I think, you know, yes, that you'll have some near term positivity on the tariffs, particularly on any kind of green infrastructure like solar. Uh, but I think the longer term or the medium term worry of global recession would be more cloudy for Chinese exports than any kind of tariff uh, you know, removal.
2: Alice, I wanted to ask you about that, just because we see any change to a tariff regime, we've still got domestic pressures at home on the mainland market when it comes to COVID restrictions. So, how do investors need to think about playing various stocks that may benefit, or uh, you know, see some upside on the back of any tariff changing?
4: On the back of tariff changing or COVID?
2: Uh... Tariff changing being the being the main one, uh, yeah. effectively. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so again, I think, you know, solar or any of the clean infrastructure stocks would be the clearest play. But again, I would be really cautious. And I think this is why maybe mainland is underperforming today, because the question is, you know, if goods demand decelerates on a whole and shifts to services, like it's very clear that U.S. consumers are shifting their uh You know, demand from buying stuff to buying, you know, going out, you know, traveling, these kinds of consumption that doesn't come from China. Right. And so China's economy has been really boosted in the last two years by exports. Um, that's made up all the loss in the COVID nineteen restrictions, right? So China really has, like, you know, to um, stimulate or to encourage the other sectors of their economy now. And so I would actually look at it a different way and say, actually, maybe the U.S. is actually late to take off the tariffs, and we need to look at, you know, where China is going to get their growth from because it's not going to be from exports the rest of this year or next year, probably.
1: Alice, very good morning to you. Your first answer to Jeff absolutely intrigued me, where you said one of the key factors why you like China and Chinese equities at the moment uh, is because the central bank isn't doing what other central banks are doing and raising rates. Is it not raising rates because it is absolutely terrified of the ramifications for local currency debt, which is surging greater than pretty much any country on this planet. In the first quarter of the year, global debt rose by just over $3 trillion, of which $2.5 trillion of that was Chinese debt, of which I'm willing to concede a large amount is local currency rather than foreign currency. Isn't it actually the case that the central banks have paralysis because they are fearful of the ramifications of a Iran- rise in rates uh, rather than other some beneficial reason why they're not raising rates?
4: Well, I think the other factor is that China has been in a different cycle, right? I mean, China just hasn't had any growth, really. China hasn't had uh, inflation. Uh, China is at 2% inflation, right? 2.1% Two point one percent versus the rest of the world, which is seven to nine percent, whichever country you're looking at. So they don't have the same um, pressures as the rest of the world, and they're trying to come out of a, a, you know, one of the lowest readings we've ever seen in April, right? So, so the starting point is very, very different. The second thing is China doesn't need to because China has a closed capital account. And as you say, it's renminbi denominated, right? So unlike the rest of EM, which are now being forced to basically raise interest rates before they're ready to, in order to not have their currencies depreciate in, uh, in line with you know, um, uh, not raising interest rates, the Chinese are in a different situation. They don't have to, right? And um, so that's a really unique position that the second largest economy uh, has right now vis-a-vis the rest of the world. And that's why I think China is in a very different cycle.
1: But but Alice, I I don't believe it is in a completely different cycle. When I look at Chinese debt levels historically compared to the West, they are dramatically lower. That is absolutely the case. But when I look at Chinese debt to GDP, on whether it be household account, the non-financial corporates, the government account or the financial sector, they're catching up very, very quickly on Western debt levels. And as such, will find themselves sucked into the same problems about raising rates that the West already has. It's the speed of change which worries me, Alice.
4: Sure, sure. I I mean, I I think this is a global problem. I mean, this is why the West can't raise interest rates too quickly either. Right. So I I, I think you know, the 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 Chinese have a debt problem that they've been trying to deal with. That's why in the last two years, they didn't actually rely on a lot of, um, you know, fiscal stimulus or monetary stimulus to get through COVID. They got through COVID by locking down and, you know, keeping the economy going, where the West actually did, they uh, use financial instruments to get through, to fill the output gap, right? So China didn't actually print as much money in the last few years that the the U.S. and the West did. And this is another kind of like different footing that China is on. And, you know, so so China actually does have a lot more room right now. Um, The question is, you know, um, you know, how willing are they right now? Because a lot of people are betting on a stimulus push. And you're right. You know, I don't think actually China wants to take on that much more debt. So where is this like extra stimulus going to come from? I think that's that's a big question I have.
0: Alice, real pleasure catching up. Thanks very much for joining us this morning and giving us your views you. on uh, how China performs going forward. Alice Wang, Portfolio Manager at Quero Capital. Uh, still to come on the programme this morning, then the Reserve Bank of Australia within the last few hours has delivered its first ever consecutive half percentage point interest rate cut. This as Governor Lowe, doubles down on tackling soaring inflation. We'll have the latest when we come back.
2: And for more on the latest talks between US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and China's Vice Premier Li He, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
1: We've just been looking at some extraordinary inflation, but I'll tell you about that next week. Um, Big tournament starting. Actually, no, starting this week. The soccer. Yes. The European
2: Cup.
4: Ladies.
1: Yeah, very excited. You going to any
2: games? No.
1: I've got a couple booked This is the second sports
2: question you've asked me in two days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was the last one? (laughs) Did you watch any sport over the weekend? Oh, yeah, the Grand Prix.
1: Did you see the Grand Prix? Yes. Some of the Grand Prix. Oh, my goodness. was not it the best? Last ten laps ever. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah,
2: I'm surprised you managed to squeeze that in. You had a very busy weekend.
1: Uh, well,
0: thankfully, well, that most Joe of listening to the Grand Prix. To
1: well, be did you hear about that? The halo saving pretty much incredible, incredible.
0: through the pit, Chinese driver Joe. Down. He
1: was. Fi- I mean, how can he be fine after that crash? Amazing. Oh, that was fantastic. He was. Uh, you're watching Sky Sports, uh, <laughs> or CNBC. Uh, the French government will step up investigations into the food supply chain amid ongoing price hikes. The country's finance minister... Oh, hang on a second, let me just start this one again. So it's someone else's fault. Let's have a look at this. The French government will step up investigations into the food supply chain. This is the country that has the greatest agricultural industry, pretty much more than any other country in Europe, maybe Poland, arguably, Yeah. And they have been the biggest beneficiaries of cap, I think, unarguable, over the last 40, 50 years. I'll do the read because it's quite extraordinary. (laughs) Stepping up investigations into the food supply chain amid ongoing price hikes. The country's finance minister says, ministry, says it has carried out over 1,200 inspections into the food sector since the beginning of the year. Finance minister Bruno Le Maire said Mm. he wants to prevent companies from profiteering as inflation Spikes. There's a lot to break down there. Let's do it a bit later because I've got lots of reads to do. Uh, The Bundesbank president, Joachim Nagel, has warned against... This is another great story. Oh, it's all happening today. He's warned against trying to set spreads in the ECB's new AFT anti-fragmentation tool, you have to say in a certain voice, makes it more powerful, Uh, adding that it would be, quote, fatal for governments to rely on central bank support in this way. They've been relying on it for at least a decade, Joachim. Anyway, the the German central bank chief said it would be virtually impossible to be certain if diverging eurozone borrowing costs was actually justified and that trying to do so would make governments complacent. Now, we've been here quite a bit over the last 10 years, but Karen's got another read, so we better move
2: on. Yeah, shock therapy out of Australia today. The Reserve Bank of Australia has hiked its key interest rate by 50 basis points, adding it is committed to doing what is necessary to bring down inflation. The central bank expects consumer prices to peak this year before declining back to the central bank's target of between 2 to 3% next year. Let's get out to Will for more from Singapore. Will, back-to-back 50 basis points Australians are not used used to that, but also a glimmer of hope that inflation could peak later this year.
5: Yeah, this is going to be the really big question, Karen, because there is this expectation based off what the RBA governor has said that we could see inflation peaking at 7% by the end of the year. But you just talk to a lot of these economists, you just see some of the incidental data that we do get coming through, like, for example, energy tariffs just today being raised by Energy Australia in Queensland by 18.9%. So this is the cost to households for the electricity prices. We've already seen them having been kicked up by around about 18% in New South Wales. And it could potentially be that we do see a little bit more inflation and it might be another undershoot coming by the way of the rba yes they did hike by 50 basis points yet again today so we're at percent but the markets are still believing that we are going to see 3.1 percent by the end of the year which would mean you need to see around about 185 basis points over the next say five meetings for that to be the case so there could potentially be more to come but then you look at the flip side and you say okay inflation maybe hit seven percent you're seeing the fact that wage inflation hasn't necessarily jumped as much as you would expect yet due to the fact that we have seen those minimum wage increases and the like it's still sitting at around about 2.4 percent so then you have to put that all together and know that at the end of july we're going to get some very important data coming through we're going to get our q2 inflation data coming through from australia and we're going to get the q2 wages price index data and that will be critical because that's basically going to set the stage for the rba because if you assume that they are gonna be hiking rates by 50% at the next meeting. You're gonna base that assumption based on one, the data that they do get coming through because all of this is on a quarterly basis in Australia, and two, they're gonna be updating their forecasts moving forward at the statement of monetary policy. And that will basically give you a little bit of a grasp about the RBA's intentions. Now, just finally, just to finish all of this off, The Aussie dollar didn't move all that much on the back of this. This hawkish stance from the RBA was indeed expected. The markets didn't move so much. So it's really going to be just how bad this inflationary situation gets and how much the the labour market can take up a little bit of the slack if we do see unemployment kicking up on the back of all these
1: rate hikes as well.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
1: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.